you go ahead, go ahead. Just keep going, keep going. I, I, I want to hear about the day of the Lord. Glory to God. It's, it's a dreaded day. Go ahead, Pastor. Preach it. Teach it, teach it. No, he was saying that um, we were talking about with the book of Isaiah, um, and he was saying that without Isaiah, we, we couldn't really recognize Jesus, you know, being the Messiah. And I was basically saying that even without the book of Isaiah, there's enough prophecy about him in other books to know that there would be a Messiah. Very good. So anyone else? Okay. It's good. I'm going to give him this mic and he can just go ahead and run with it. Anyone else? I have a question. So, it says it's part of the environmental Say, like verse 20. It said, But I write, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted to idols. I know what that means. Sexual immorality. I know what that means. And things strangled. What does that mean? To that, the blood, it says blood, meaning blood for what? Yeah. So strangle means from animal from unknown. And that's animal. not in the Old Testament, it's in the New Testament. So. Yeah, it is. Bishop, you want to answer that? Sure. You want to take over now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not that he couldn't handle it, because I know he could have handled it, glory to God. But um, I knew someone was going to ask about this, and that's a, it's, it's a very, very good question. Um, Obviously, in this particular portion, the apostles are bringing to an end the argument that is going on about, you know, do the new believers that are Gentiles need to be circumcised and, you know, keep the law in order to be saved. And what the apostles do is what they're what they're trying to do here is they're trying to bring two different communities together. Okay, two two totally opposite communities. One community is absolutely kosher. The other community is just, they don't care. They just eat everything, whatever. They go to the marketplace. There, there's no exception to what they're going to eat. And um, when the apostle is talking here and he talks about things being strangled and the blood, that is going way, way back before the law to Noah. If you remember when Noah, in the book of Genesis chapter 9, when Noah comes out, that is the first time that we see that men are now going to eat animals. Prior to that, that is not what is going on. Prior to, to, the, to the experience with the flood, men were just vegetarians. Everybody was vegetarian up until that point. There, there was no eating, you know, of these animals and stuff like that. So we see right after this flood that occurs, well, now, you know, God tells Noah, you can eat animals. And he says, but do not eat the blood of the animal because that's symbolic of life. And so he's saying, and, and man will give an account for any, any blood that he eats, you know, eating an animal, you know, the wrong way, he's going to give an account for that, you know, and, other, and, and, you know, don't just be out there doing stuff crazy is, you know, what he's communicating. And then when he talks about the, the strangled portion, got to think about why he says that. When you, when you kill something and you strangle it, what happens? All of the blood remains inside of it. 
when you kill something in a different way, you know, there, there are certain places where when they're going to kill an animal, they don't kill, you know, they don't, they don't just kill the animal and you just shoot them dead. You know, they actually turn them upside down and they cut the throat. And there's a reason for that because of stuff like this. They know that that drains all the blood. So they don't kill the animal. They kill the animal that way. And that, that's, when they, that's when the animal's killed. And that way the animal's not strangled and the blood does not remain in the body. So when he's talking about this, you know, you got to think about the times. I mean, we, you know, you think that we're, you know, barbaric sometimes. I mean, they were much more, you know, not or, or much more barbaric than we are. And so it was the same scenario when they're going into these um, into these different, you know, the, the, the people are around there that, you know, getting food and stuff like that. You have you have animals that have been strangled and killed. And he's telling them, listen, don't do that because it's an offense to your Jewish brothers. And later on, when he communicates this, because remember, the, the whole argument is from these Pharisees that are believers. So they are strict Jews, but they believe in Jesus. And so what they're doing is they're saying, wait a second, we're, we're passionate. We love God. God hasn't told us to stop obeying the law. And the Apostle Paul says it clearly. If you're circumcised, don't get uncircumcised. In other words, keep doing what you're doing, you know. But if you're not circumcised, don't go and get circumcised. Don't go, don't go trying to become, you know. And actually in, in the um, First Corinthians chapter 7, which is what we were talking about on Sunday, in that particular portion of Scripture is where you see the Apostle Paul telling men, you know, women, telling the church, remain how you were when you were called. If you were called as circumcised, remain that way. If you were called uncircumcised, remain that way. If you were called and you were single, remain that way. If you were called and you were married, remain that way. And so he's communicating that way. So in this particular portion of scripture here, that's what he's talking about when he's saying strangled, because you can't um, abstain from the blood that goes way back before the law. You can't abstain from that. If you're eating an animal that was strangled, you know, then obviously you're going to be partaking of that blood. Praise the Lord. Good answer. Is that good? Is that, 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 that flows with you, Norbert? I'm just messing with you, man. All right. Any other questions, comments? Hallelujah. You know y'all got to start over, right? Because since I wasn't here, I got to hear all of the stuff that y'all were bringing forth. I'm just kidding. Can you take one and please pass it? Just pass it that way. This is for you guys to have. It is a, um, it is a, a give you, it gives you some, some dates so you can kind of understand the chronology found in the book of Acts. And I, I was going to give this to you last week, but when we're talking about the dates and we know, okay, this has been three years, this has been four years, this has been five years, or whatever the case may be, this is going to help you to um, do that. So on your own time, you can sit down and you can look at the chapters and you can see, okay, this is when this happened. So, you know, you can see that Paul, you know, AD 37 is, you know, chapter 9 there. And the Apostle Paul, that's when he was converted. And we are up here in chapter 15. So we're looking at like, you know, 51, 52, you know, A.D. So that's how much time has passed by. So you can see how old the church is at this point. And you can also see going through the entire book of Acts, how many years passed by. I mean, you see you see a 30 year span there, you know, practically that is in the book of Acts. So get some good stuff there for you to take home and add to your study materials. Praise the Lord. All right. Does anybody else want to add anything before we start from verse one? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Everybody have one? All right, you can keep it. You got two? It's all right. Just keep two, whatever. There's extra, so you're all right. As long as everybody got one, we're good. All right, chapter 15 and beginning in verse 1. 
Last chapter, um, in chapter 14, we found we left Paul in Antioch, and it says in verse 28 that he stayed there for a long time with the disciples. So he's there in Antioch, and you know the place where he was sent from. He went back to the church that sent him, and he's there, and he's teaching, developing disciples, you know, helping the people to grow in Christ, laying solid foundation. A few years later, or whatever the case may be, certain men come down from Judea. And they taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So right away, they come and they're throwing in this monkey wrench. These people are feeling good. They're loving Jesus. Everything is wonderful. And now suddenly these people come in there and they're like, you got to be circumcised. Y'all are happy and got all this joy, but you shouldn't be joyful because you ain't saved. That's what they're saying here. You, you're not circumcised. You're not saved. And so now there's an issue going on there. And again, and we see what happens when that situation arises. It says, therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. And so the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, they dispute this with them. They go back and forth about it. And I'm, I, I'm almost 100% certain it doesn't say it here, but I'm positive that there was no question about this issue. There's only one reason why they are going back to the Jerusalem church. It is because we got to remember, even though the church is so many years old here that there's still you know questions going on there's still formation that is happening and these people obviously came from where well when they went back to Jerusalem we'll see in the letter that they wrote they'll say that there was some men that came from us so obviously these were men who came over here acting like they were coming in the authority of the apostles and the elders and the church in Jerusalem and they're going over there and they're arguing with the apostles you know Barnabas and Paul and so they said you know what Let, let's fix this what we're going to do is we're going to send all y'all back to the place where you came from, to the mother church of all of us, and we're going to go ahead and we're going to discuss this. You're, you're going to get the answer for this, and we'll bring it back. And verse 3 says, So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. So on their way back, they made some stops, obviously. You know, they weren't just going to walk straight, you know, so they made some stops in these different cities that had already been preached to. And, and notice that when he talks about, that he's, he's pointing something out, um, the, the writer of the book, he's pointing out here that he would, they, they were talking about the, the, the conversion of the Gentiles. And the reason why that's important is because when they're coming back through these places, when you go back a few chapters, you remember when, when the whole dispersion took place, when the people went to Phoenicia and they began to preach, it says they preached to Jews only. And so they, they were only Jewish converts in these places. So when they're coming back and they're communicating to these churches, they're letting them know what God is doing outside of the Jewish community and what happens they begin to have great joy and they're excited about this verse 4 says and when they had come to Jerusalem they were received by the church the apostles and the elders and they reported all the things that God had done with them but some of the sect of the Pharisees now this is very important that you look at what it says here but some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses uh, the reason why this is important is because, you know, sometimes we deal with people that we really question their salvation. Hallelujah. We deal with folks that they're, you know, they're going off the deep end with something. And we're like, man, that, that, that person really needs Jesus. You know, that, I, don't, I don't know if that person's really saved. And you know what? I can guarantee you the way that these guys were coming at this situation, they look like some crazy legalistic people that could not know the Jesus that they've been loving on for the last, you know, 10 plus years and walking with. There was no way these guys could have known Jesus, but they did because the scriptures that are inspired say that these Pharisees believe. So guess what? The Pharisees who are pushing this 
legalism and the and the Gentiles who are lib- who, who are who are not who are liberated from the law, they're just as saved as each other. Both of them are going to go to heaven and have a good time. And so we see that they're in this situation, believers and believers having a dispute about the word of God, still laying the foundation for the church. Verse six says, now the apostles and elders came together to consider the matter. And so it wasn't just up to one person, but they all come together and they discuss this particular doctrine. And verse seven And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. Important wording here that the apostle uses because he says that God knows the heart and he acknowledged them. So, you know, all of this all of this time, you know, Jewish community, God is not acknowledging anybody else. We're we're God's chosen people. And that's it. But the scriptures say here that God knows the heart or the, the apostle Peter communicating his experience. So he's going and doing what? Remember, we know that the scriptures say that every word has to be established by two or three witnesses so we have the apostle peter giving his first witness and verse 9 says and made no distinction speaking about god between us and them purifying their hearts by faith now therefore why do you test god by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear but we believe that through the grace of the lord jesus christ we shall be saved in the same manner as they so the apostle Peter goes and he says, y'all remember, you know, years ago when I left and I went to Cornelius's house and when I went over there and I was preaching to them the gospel, as I was preaching to them the gospel, the Holy Spirit came upon them. God saved them by faith, separated them. And God is not judging, judging them as being unworthy. And on the contrary, God, God demonstrated that he acknowledges these people and he's showing these people, he's showing us, hey, he doesn't have an issue with them. They're not circumcised. He didn't make them get circumcised back in Cornelius's house. So why are you, why are you testing God? Why is it that you're bringing in this false teaching and testing the Lord, trying to bring people back under this yoke of bondage that none of us, he says it clearly, he said, our fathers couldn't keep this law, we couldn't keep this law, so why are we trying to make them do something that is impossible? Nobody can be perfect according to the law because you break one part of the law, you've broken all the law. So he communicates to them and he lets them know this, he tells them, listen, we believe like this, we're not more saved because we're Jewish and they're not less saved because they're Gentile. We're not more saved because we're circumcised. They're not less saved because they're uncircumcised. But the grace of God is doing everything for all of us. And it goes on to say there... It says then, it says in verse 12, it says, then all the multitude kept silence. So nobody had anything to say after the apostle Peter gave the first witness. So then we see the second witness. They kept silent and they did what? They began to listen to Barnabas and Paul declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. So now we see the first witness, which is the first person who God used. Jesus prophesied over the apostle Peter and said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And what does he do? He is faithful to accomplish that prophetic word and the first person to preach to the Gentile church is who? The Apostle Peter. He gives the first witness, says okay, I preach this word. Then he goes on the second witness is going to be the ones who've been out there for the last few years ministering to the Gentiles. The Apostle who has been sent to the Gentile church and the Apostle Barnabas as well. They're going ahead and they're ministering saying okay, well you heard Peter's story and you remember that. And so now look at what God continued to do. So here's the thing. Ten years ago, 
The Holy Spirit fell down on them, right? And so 10 years later, I'm letting you know the Holy Ghost is still moving. God is still doing signs and wonders. God is still doing miracles. And never once has he inspired any of us to talk about circumcision. Never once has he inspired any of us to try to put a yoke on these people or try to make them become Jewish. Never once has he done that. So he communicates that. So now we have two witnesses. And then it goes on and he says, then then all the multitude, I'm sorry, verse 13, and after they had become silent, so now they have nothing to say because they went back and forth, back and forth, talking about law and this and that. And then they, they're quiet when Peter's done. They're quiet when the apostle Barnabas and Paul are done. And then after that, they, when they become silent, now James, he's the, he, he's, the, he's the set man or the overseer of the Jerusalem church at this time. He says, men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the word of the prophets agree, just as it is written. Now, remember a little while earlier and a, and, and a few chapters ago, I don't remember exactly when, but we talked about these three witnesses before, right? The first witness was being Jesus himself when he was communicating. And we see that Peter being that representation of what Jesus communicated. We see the Holy Spirit, you know, being that witness again with the signs and the wonders and what happened there. And then we see again that now the word of God is being brought into this, the prophetic scriptures that are pointing to the future. So that is what James brings in to seal the deal and he says and with this word of the prophets the prophets agree just that it is written after this I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David which has fallen down I will rebuild its ruins I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord even all the Gentiles who are called by my name says the Lord who does all of these things and so he's quoting the prophet Amos and he's saying he's saying look this is what God said God said he's going to rebuild this tabernacle of David now, this word tabernacle there is a very interesting word because it literally means dwelling place, the dwelling place of David. We got to remember who David is. You know, David is the one who got this prophetic word that there was going to be, you know, the Savior was coming through his, through, his, through his bloodline. The Savior was coming. And we know that when we look at the whole genealogy in the book of Matthew and in the book of Luke, we, we, you know, we line it right back up. You know, it goes from Abraham, but, you know, we see that it comes from David, and that's where Jesus comes from, that particular bloodline. So he's saying that the Messiah comes and does what? He establishes a way for the Gentile nation to now be saved. So now the prophets have agreed and communicated, verse 18, known to God from eternity are all his works. Therefore, I judge. So he's giving his judgment. He's giving his stamp. And he's saying, look, this is what should happen, that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God. In other words, listen, let's let, 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 let's not go and get in the way of what God is doing by trying to throw our law in the way that's going to make these people trip up. And is going to what, what is it going to do? It's going to close the way. It's going to close the point of access. These Gentiles aren't trying to be, you know, con converted into Judaism. They're trying to be saved for eternity they're trying to you know come to God in the way that God is offering them through Jesus Christ so he says look we don't need to get in the way of what God is doing these people are turning to God people are being saved people are being ministered to we don't want to stop that verse 20 but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled and from blood. And obviously we all know what idolatry is. But, but you got to realize that surrounding the Gentile, Gentile nations, 
They're not, you know, they're not like, the, you know, the, 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 the Jewish people. The Jewish people, even as pagan as, you know, they may have been, they still knew that there was one true God. They, they knew that. They might have worshipped the hundred gods, but they knew that there was Jehovah God who was the creator of all. They had that concept. Where with the Gentile nations, it wasn't that way. Gentile nations were plagued by idolatry. And so the first thing he says is, look, what we need to make sure is if this community is going to work and we're going to be able to have Jews and Gentiles who are going to be able to get along and who are going to be able to be in communion and not be always arguing and going back and forth, then the first thing that's got to happen is they need to abstain from idolatry. Meaning, and and when he talks about the food in here, because you'll see later on, he points that out and he brings it all together. Well, when you would go to the marketplace, you know what would happen? There was all kind of food there that had been, that had been part of it, part of it had been sacrificed to a pagan god, had been sacrificed to an idol because of what? Well, they wanted their blessing. So what did they do? They would sacrifice that food to idols. And you know what? The Gentiles knew which ones were the, you know, people who were doing that. You know what they said? Don't, don't, don't participate in that. You abstain from anything that has to do with idolatry because you do not want to what? You do not want to offend your Jewish brothers. Your Jewish brothers are going to be highly offended by that because that's something that, and, and you know what? You got to walk in love. So they, they need to abstain from, the, from, from the, um, the, the idols, you know, not that they were even bowing to idols, but anything that would connect them with idolatry. The second thing that he points out there is he points out sexual immorality. Very important, very, very important. And, and, and one, one of the biggest things within the heathen nations and the pagan nations is that, is that, you know what, sex is just a free-for-all. They would have all these kind of sex orgies and all these kind of sex parties and all this craziness that was going on in those days. And part of it had to do with the worship of the false gods. Those were the kind of things that were going on. And so that's the reason why he points it out. He says, listen, you as a Christian community... You cannot be engaged in that sexual immorality. You cannot be engaged in sex outside of marriage, period. No sex outside of marriage. You can only have sexual relationship with your spouse, and that is it. We need to be the light. We need to be the salt. We need to be an example. So we have to separate from that. And then he points out those things that we already discussed, which is the the blood and the things being strangled. Verse 21 goes on to say, For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. So, what he's saying is, that okay, these are the things that they need to know. These are the things that they need to stay away from. These are the things that they need to consecrate themselves from. And those are the things that we are going to enforce. Those are the things that we're going to communicate. But why does he point this out about Moses being read? Because here's what's going to happen. As these people continue to sit down in their relationship with God and they hear the law of Moses and they hear the laws of God being read, you want to know what's going to happen? The conviction of the Holy Spirit is going to deal with them and they are going to know, you know what, I can't do this anymore. They're going to realize I need to stop doing this. They're going to realize I need to stay away from that because we're going to let the spirit of God do within these hearts what needs to be done. We're going to let the spirit of God work in them. And guess what? The word of God is going to deliver them. And so we're not going to enforce any of this stuff. We're going to let the Holy Spirit do his job within their hearts. Verse 22 says, then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named Barsabas and Silas, leading men among the brethren. Verse 23, they wrote this letter by them, the apostles, the elders and the brethren to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria and Cilicia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. Very important. The apostle says, look, I want you to understand something. 
we did not give these guys any authority. We didn't give them any commandment. We didn't tell them to go over there and confuse you with anything. We, 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 didn't, we, we didn't release these people at all. They went over there making a mess and doing all of this stuff all on their own. It wasn't us who sent them. It seemed good to us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who, are, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas who will also report the same things by the word of mouth for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us it's wonderful when we can agree with the Holy Ghost amen to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things that you abstain from things offered to idols from blood from things strangled and from sexual immorality if you keep yourself from these you will do well farewell verse 30 so when, they were, so when they were sent off, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. When they had read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. Now Judas and Silas themselves, being prophets, also exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. And after they had stayed there for a time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. However, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So we see they, they, they go and they bring this letter back. They communicate. The letter brings this wonderful encouragement. Judas and Silas, they're prophets. And you know, we got the apostles and the prophets. The prophets come there and they begin to encourage them. They begin to exhort them, build them up. One of them goes back. The other one stays there. And what I love is what the scripture says in verse 35. It says, Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. You should underline that in your Bible because it shows us that there is progression in the development of the other people who are preaching and teaching. No longer was it just the apostles preaching and teaching. No longer was it just the prophets preaching and teaching. But there were others who were in the community, in the congregation, who were gaining the insight to the word of God. Pastor Robert said Norbert could have taken over the class. Glory to God. We have some witness, praise the Lord, that God is raising up some people and some people are getting some things. That is a wonderful thing. We want to see that, that same experience in our days within the church today so they're there preaching and teaching giving people opportunities there's no you know threat oh my goodness he could preach better than me he could teach better than me none of that stuff is going on they're there ministering and witnessing and doing the things that God calls them to do now this is the last portion of the scripture and we need to pay close attention to what goes on here verse 36 then it says then after some days Paul said to Barnabas let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Verse 37 says, now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended, to, commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now you have two mighty, mighty men of God here. Two spirit-filled men of God. Two men who have been working hand, hand in hand, side by side, doing a wonderful, wonderful work. The Apostle Paul comes out and says, you know what? We've been here in Antioch for a while. 
We see we got other preachers, we got other teachers, evangelism is working well, teaching, Bible studies going great, small groups doing wonderful. You know what? We don't need to just sit up in here. We have other churches that we've established throughout this whole province and our first trip when we went out by the grace of God. So you know what, Barnabas? Let's go back and let's go minister to these people. So now comes the Barnabas, the encourager. And he says, you know what? I want to take Mark with us. And the Apostle Paul, he's like, look, man, I know that's your nephew, because it was. I know, I, I, I know you love him, and I know, I know you want to bring him, but listen, this dude left us high and dry. <laughs> you remember when we first looked at Mark, you remember I pointed out, Mark was their servant. He, you know, he, he was there to serve them. That he was there to assist them in this ministry. He was their assistant, right? And the assistant went up and said, nah, man, you know what? He went to a couple of places with them. And he was like, all right, I got to go. I got to go back home. And, and it doesn't tell us. Here's, here's the thing. This is all we know. We know for sure that he left them at some point when they continued on in their journey. He left them. And then, this is because it doesn't say, you know, Mark was a coward, doesn't say Mark was scared, doesn't say Mark got sick, doesn't say Mark was homesick, it, it doesn't say anything like that. It just tells us that Mark went back home when they continued on in their journey. And then we know this, whatever the reason was that Mark left, it was enough for the Apostle Paul to say, I don't want him to come with us again. That's all we know. So we, 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 can, we can add whatever we want to add, but let's not add for the sake of argument, glory to God. What we know is that there was something in the reasoning of this man that did not, you know, jive with the Apostle Paul. So the Apostle Paul says, listen, man, Barnabas, we can't bring him. We, 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 we cannot bring him. And so we see, and I think I talked with the, talk to the, with, with the leaders about this, or we read it in our book, I think is in there when they start talking about the difference between the two of these men. But in the disciple-making church, it's pointing out the difference in gifting, the difference in character. Remember who Barnabas is. Barnabas is the one who, when nobody wanted anything to do with Paul, guess who was the one who grabbed Paul? It was Barnabas. When everybody was afraid of Paul and didn't want to deal with Paul at all, guess what? Barnabas said, come on, man, I'm going to take you under my wing, and I'm going to work with you, and I'm going to help you to grow to maximize your potential because I know that you were causing havoc on the church, and I know that you are a person that everybody is afraid of, but you know what? I am, my name it means son of encouragement, and I am a person, and, and it's not that Barnabas, see, because you know, and y'all know better than this, when I talk about encouragement, you know, encouragement is, all, is not always nice, hallelujah, okay? Encouragement is not, you know, just rubbing someone on the back telling them everything's because everything ain't always going to be okay and I can still encourage you and let you know it ain't going to be easy but you're going to get through it amen the strength of the Lord is going to be enough the grace of God is going to be enough and the same situation you know he's with with the apostle Paul he says you know what Paul you got all of this knowledge you're you're a Pharisee of Pharisees you have all of this word inside of you but you know what you're going to have to prove to these disciples you're going to have to prove to this the church that you really mean business for Jesus and that's it and so he takes him so what happens over here we fast forward and we're looking at his situation with Mark. Well, guess what? Later on, we see something. We see the Apostle Paul ask for them to send Mark because Mark is going to be helpful to him. And so you know what that shows me? That shows me that obviously Barnabas was on to something. Hallelujah. Barnabas was on to something because obviously later on, the Apostle Paul calls for Mark to come. But we see in this particular instance, this thing wasn't no little, okay, man, you know, we're just going to agree to disagree and just walk away. No, that isn't what the text says. The text says, and I'm going to throw my word into it, but it basically means the same thing. This thing got heated. <laughs> 
There was a heated discussion between these two. You know, these two were there, could have been sweating. You know, they didn't have AC like we have, glory to God. You know, so they, they're going back and forth about this whole Mark thing. And, you know, Barnabas is saying, Paul, man, come on. Don't you remember when I took you with me? Nobody wanted anything to do with you. And now you're going to be acting. See, because, you know, he's just reminding. Oh, you forgot where you came from. Huh? I can imagine that that's how the conversation. It, it had to get heated like that. I mean, let's just put ourselves there for a moment. Now, I'm adding a little bit, but just go with me, glory to God. We ain't going to mess nothing up, all right? But what happens is we have this, con so we have Barnabas wanting to encourage, and the apostle Paul is like, look, man, I don't have time to be babying nobody. I don't have time for that. I don't have time to take this guy with us. He left us one time. There is high likelihood that he's going to leave us again because we don't know what's waiting for us. But here's what we do know. We know that the last time we went there, there was persecution. And we know that the last time that we went into persecution, he left us. So history shows us two things. There's a potential for persecution and there's a potential that he's going to leave us in the midst of it. And we don't have time for that. So the Apostle Paul and Barnabas say, you know what? Check this out. You take... You, you, you take Mark with you. You go that way. I'm going to take Silas with me, and I'm going to go this way. And we can meet back here or whatever the case is, but at this point, this is what happens. And I, I, I want you to see this because it's important that we understand who's having this argument. It is two men of God. It's not one carnal Christian and one spiritual Christian. That's not it. It's two men of God who simply have two different gift sets, they simply have two different character types. We know that the Apostle Paul was a father. In, our, in, in the book, The Disciple Making Church, talks about leadership. Leadership has to be, you know, like the father and the mother. There's got to be that balance. There's, and, and it's not that a mother is weak. It's that a mother is more sensitive to situations than the father is. The father is, you know, direct, get this thing done. You know, mom is like, all right, babe, we're going to get it done, you know, and, and try to help you out and try to understand the situation a little bit better in most scenarios. And so what you have here is, for me, when you're looking at the text, you see two perfect examples of that balance of leadership and that's the reason why these two work so well together but at this point guess what needed to happen mark needed to be developed and so did silas mark needed to grow so did silas and guess what the church needed to be encouraged and what better way for you to grow than for you to go on ahead and go with a great leader who's going to be able to help you to grow and give you opportunities to minister because we know that mark's going to get opportunities to minister going with barnabas and we know that silas is going to get opportunities to minister going with the apostle paul so what do we see we see in this argument sometimes so, so, sometimes these type of things occur in order to do what to accomplish another greater good which is the development of these people. Mark would have never, listen to me, if Barnabas would have not decided, I'm going to take Mark, we would have never heard about him later on. Because you know what would have happened? This is what would have happened. Mark would have continued to sit in the church in Antioch. He would have continued to remember, man, I left these guys like this. The apostle Paul don't want nothing to do with me. I ain't no good. He would have had a self-esteem issue. He would have never became the minister that God wanted him to be. So praise the Lord for Barnabas who said, you know what, I'm not going to let that hang over your head because you were imperfect, you did the wrong thing, and I'm not going to let you forget that, but I don't want you to think that there's no hope for you. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's all stand to our feet. <clears throat> Chapter 16 next week, glory to God. Hmm? <laughs> hallelujah, hallelujah. <laughs> At least we know she's reading. Glory to God. That's good. Praise the Lord. Let's get our tithes and our offerings ready, please.
And one, one really quick announcement. Do not forget, well, it's kind of a two-sided announcement here. Um, probably three announcements. Women's is this Friday? Yes? yes. Praise the Lord. I, I just figured your wife. So, so women, women of worship this Friday, they're meeting here, yes? Anna, all right, so Pastor Anna's house, you guys will be meeting there, glory to God. Call Pastor Marty Soul if you need some information. Um, but the, two, the, the two-sided announcement is, do not forget, Sunday is our Kids Dome service, our back-to-school bash. That is going to be an awesome, awesome time in the Lord. The children are in the lobby right now, and they're learning the song um, that they're going to do as a special. I believe that there should be some CDs that you should be taking home with your children with some words as well to the songs. Um, also, on Saturday, if you are a children's ministry worker, or if you are interested in working in the children's ministry, there is going to be a mandatory training that is going to take place from 10 o'clock in the morning and probably go until about 12.30. So if you're interested in working with the children, you're invited to come out at 10 o'clock. If you're already working with the children, you need to be here at 10 o'clock so we can get this training and then we're also going to set up the, the sanctuary the way that we need to for the Sunday service. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, and we honor you today, Lord God, for all of your blessing in our lives. Father, we thank you for all of your provision in our home, in, in, in this house, Father God. And Lord, we thank you because we know that you are Jehovah Jireh. You are the Lord who provides all of our needs according to your riches and glory. And Father, I just pray tonight for your blessing over every one of my brothers and my sisters, Lord God. Father, you see every need that they have, Father, and I just pray that they would be met according to your riches and glory, according to your foreknowledge. And Lord God, I ask you to open the windows of heaven over their lives as they release what is in their hands unto you, Father God, that you would release what in your heart for us, Father. Lord, we praise you and we thank you for you are faithful and true to your word, Lord God. We give you honor and glory for this, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Saturday. <laughs> 